Hi everyone, it's Liz, your host of Coffee and Convos. Welcome back to another episode. This episode is going to be a little different. I got to have the opportunity to be on a local radio station and show some podcast love while the host was out. So me and a few friends, we went and we talked about politics, wellness, and activism, but in a different format. We got to host a three-hour segment on WATR 1320, and here is the episode broke into three-hour segments. Hope you enjoy, and see you soon. Brought you this week a great set of special guest hosts. Today, community advocates and leading voices of Waterbury's rising generation, Elizabeth Bullard, Charnell Bush, Dimitri Coles, and Bilal Tajaldeen. And now, talk of the town until one here on WATR. All right, folks, we are closing on our final hour um, with your leading voices. <laughs> <laughs> um, my name is Liz Bullard, host of Coffee and Combos podcast. Um, and I am joined by, we'll start at the end and then work our way back up. Bilal Tajlin, one of the co-founders of It's Time Waterbury. Uh, Sharnell Bush, state Senate candidate. Dimitri Coles, president and co-founder of Waterbury Strong. And we are taking calls, talking to you. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to engage with you, answer your questions about uh, community, food, really anything. (laughs) Always food. Always food. The number is 203-757-1320. Again, that's 203-757-1320. And we have a caller. Caller, how are you doing? Oh, hello. I heard nice programming. I heard you talk about the mall earlier, and I just wanted to say that if you keep your ear on Chris Fortier and the news at WATR, the old, that Brassville Center has been sold. They have major plans to fix all the retail and make it more walkable, and your group may be able to talk with them about working the walkability around the mall, and that's just a tip in listening to the things you're talking about today. Thank you. Oh, thank you for that. That's a great um, plug, great idea. Um, again, uh, callers, if you want to call in, it's 203-757-1320. And while we're waiting on calls, there was a, a topic that we wanted to discuss that we didn't get a chance to, and that is women and women's rights. Um, as the only female up here, I think I owe it to, to, to shout out the ladies and, and what's going on. So, uh, if you've been living under a rock and don't know, um, the Supreme Court has rolled back Roe v. Wade, um, impacting abortion rights. Um, in Connecticut, we are a safe haven, um, state where, um, our, we still have the, the option. And there was a recent article uh, about Waterbury and it was talking about how Waterbury Health Center may become the hub for out of state abortions. And um, I had a lot of thoughts about that. Um, in there, Lamont was quoted as saying, you know, Connecticut is woman friendly and we stand behind women. Um, I'm not buying it for the city. Sorry. <laughs> um, I feel like it, it's um, I feel like we do a really good job of like finding issues where we can get federal funding. <laughs> we saw this with Hurricane Maria, like, hey, come here. We're going to help you. And then we don't. Mm-hmm. So my fear is we are going to be this hub. We're going to say, come here and really miss a potential. Right. So it literally might not be safe for people to migrate back to their homes and things like that. And this could be an opportunity to create spaces, to have ideas to bring young folks in, to, to have businesses, for people to really transplant here. And if, if we are going to be that hub, I'd like to see that ripple, not just from medical, but how else? Housing and all these other areas. Um, fellas, what are you thinking? 
I so I can also I can start by saying that I think what um what an interesting piece of Waterbury history is that Waterbury was actually the, one of the locations of one of the earliest known uh, birth control clinics. Really? Yep. So, so downtown. Come on with the history all the time. Well, you know, I don't know. I just I find it interesting. So there's the downtown built one of the buildings downtown. Um, it says the Chase Medical Dispensary, the Chase Dispensary, right? And so that was the medical facility where uh, all the factory workers for Chase could go get their health care, and that was one of the earliest places. So in 1938, they were actually raided. Um, because it was illegal to provide contraceptives or birth control, and at the time it was it was more like a jelly; it wasn't like a pill or anything. Um, and they were they were raided for their information as to which women were receiving birth control or contraceptives. And uh, rather than turn that information over, the nurses who worked there actually hid the documentation from Come the officials on. to protect the identity of the women who were receiving health care at their place. Um, and from time to time, so now that building um, is where the Connecticut Community Foundation is oh. operating out of. Um, and my understanding, I have, I've never seen it happen, but according to other folks in downtown, uh, there's sometimes a, a rally that ends there um, in opposition to birth control or contraceptives. And so we actually have a really unique part of history for providing birth control. I definitely agree with you on the level of safety for women needs to increase and we have to be more mindful. But there is a bit of a tradition here for protecting not only your private health care and your private health care decisions, but your ability to receive birth control. That's my fact of the day. I like it. Um, I'll just caveat and jump in. I, I, I think it's important. I think sometimes with these issues, we, we isolate um, people who identify as men or male from these conversations. But I, I think it is a critical conversation because it, it, it's a privacy conversation. It's, a, it's about safety. And I think we're, we, we stop on like it's just a women's issue or a morality issue. But there are so many layers to this and, and everyone needs to um, – I think be invited to the conversation. Yeah, I um, cause I I remember I was corrected um, recently when I was talking about this topic. I was talking about whether it be reproductive rights or contraception and all these things that um, like people who can get pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. There are trans men who can get pregnant, and they're you know. And for me, I think one of the, I mean, I see this whole issue as like two sided. I think there's an equality issue. Um, I think at its core, where we're having the conversation of there are so many potential like medical issues and concerns and problems, diseases, um, some emergencies that come with the possibility of being pregnant, mm-hmm. right? That men will never experience. And so demanding that women put themselves at risk for those things and mostly men demanding women put themselves at risk for these things that we'll never experience, I think really harps on an equality issue. Mm. And we need, if we're to have, if we're having serious conversation about Connecticut being safe for women, like I think, all of those things we talk about more like mortality rates, you know, and infant mm-hmm. mortality. We talk about um, maternal mortality rates. We need to make sure that the resources we have here for mothers who are going to be giving birth and people who don't choose to, to give birth are covered on both sides of the issue. And I think the uh, I think as a man, right, like I I I'm in, I approach this issue as I'll never have to experience it, but I have loved and walked through life with people who have mm-hmm. had to make that decision. And I think it becomes this real existential piece. Where we all have conversation about what life is and, mm-hmm. and things like that, and I and, and for me, I, I think that it, it really becomes a conversation and it becomes nuanced for people, like you said, for private healthcare providers and and whoever is seeking that healthcare. I think that 
when we have the moral conversations and spiritual conversations, I think that is saved for the spaces that that's meant to be in. You can have those spiritual conversations in spiritual places. You can have those moral conversations at your kitchen table, right? But we can't. What we can't do is legislate that. And so as long as we are doing the right thing here in Connecticut and making sure that the space, that a medical space is just, in fact, what it's supposed to be, safe, secure, and non-harmful, then I am I am all for what it looks like here. And, you know, like, it, oh, my gosh, like, I can't even tell you, it, it grinds my gears when politicians throw out the, mortal, the morality um, um, conversation, because if it was morality, there would be equal... Um, We'll say punishment because it seems like – it feels like this is a punishment. Like if you make this choice, you are going to be punished, right? Um, and like you don't get your own self pregnant. Like there is a participant that participates in this. Mm-hmm. And so what is your consequence, right? If we're saying that like, you know, this is a morality issue, well, okay, what happened to the other person? And so um, – it frustrates me because I'm less like, why don't, like politicians are really good about hiding behind things, hiding behind words, hiding behind misinformation. It's like, no, like if, if you want to just be a jerk, just say you're a jerk and say that you're not going to stand behind folks and, and, and do, do the job. Um, so um, that's my spiel. Um, Dimitri, do you, do you have anything that you want to add? I mean, I agree with, you know, essentially everything that was said, you know, the only thing that I can add is, you know, as a man, I kind of, um, I don't refrain from the battle, but ref- refrain for being like um, a leading voice in, in the battle. You know, um, I, I'm a strong believer that, you know, women should actually be um, leading um, this charge and should have the full support of men. Um, I think that because um, through the lens of a man, one, I can't experience a lot of those things that we talk about and then you know on the basic morality standpoint like you know i have a sister Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i have you know um um, friends that are are women and you know they come from all different walks of life um they have their own opinions they want to self-determine you know what they want to do in life and essentially this court ruling um i believe is damn near uh, an infringement on the self-determination, mm. you know, and saying that you can't, you know, partake in, you know, basic human activities um, because, you know, you weren't in the position to or saying that just because this situation happened to you, um, you have to suffer um, through this. Um, I don't feel like that's right. And a lot of people, I don't really feel like there's a political or mor- a moral economical or or social you know foundation to support the opposite opinion mm. um you know um and i feel like uh you know i'm big on like political consistency you know you know just looking at the general political landscape the people who are you know the biggest anti-government people they're like well you know we need the biggest government oversight in this issue right now to protect this and it just doesn't really make sense um in that respect so that's where I'm at with it. Also, just piggybacking, you said you can't you can't be the leading voice. Well, I'm going to direct you to the Coffee and Combos episode, <laughs> Activism 101, where I had Gary O'Valley, and we talked about activism. And sometimes, right, especially in these issues, men are often the ones in the room having the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, be that advocate. Stand up and, you know, correct that man who's like, she shouldn't do this. Well, guess what you shouldn't do? Mm. <laughs> Any other female. Anyway. <laughs> so we, we have a comment. 
comment too, Liz, on 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 our Facebook Live from Zaleste saying that Waterbury needs to do better in in particular respect to sexual assault or domestic violence. Ooh, good one. Um, that there that you know some folks feel that there's not a lot of support. So when we're talking about um, what happens, right? I know Torrington uh, back around 2010 had uh, actually ended a program to combat teen pregnancy. Because they Torrington had a really high rate of teen pregnancy. They put in a program that actually educated young people about birth control or contraceptives or safe sex or any of that, right? Their teen pregnancy went, rates went so far down, they were like, oh, we don't need this program anymore. So they stopped the program, and then guess what happened? Yeah, well, not. <laughs> the rates went right back up again, right? Like, we can talk about morality, right, if we want, but it's really like – a matter of this is public education, right? Mm-hmm. What education do you receive in your public school? I know the city of Waterbury had like almost an absence only sex ed approach for mm-hmm. a number of years up until like 2017 mm-hmm. um, where there wasn't a, a holistic course um, to make sure that young people have the right information. Um, again, if you want to call in and participate in the conversation, the number is 203-757-1320. Um, we're talking about issues, local, global, um, again, if we, you know, say that we're going to be this hub and say that we're going to be this center and say that, you know, we want to champion this, I'd really like to see us champion this, um, not just from a funding perspective, but from like a holistic perspective, because this, this will Im- impact people, um, not just their today, but their future as well. And do we have to take a break here? All right. So we're going to take a break here. Again, the call number is 203-757-1320. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it does not have to be. With Zencaster, you have a whole tool that can make remote podcasting that much easier. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio-quality audio and video without needing all the tech-savvy know-how. It records each guest locally then uploads the crystal clear audio and video right into the suite so you can have the high quality raw materials that you want to work with. This works really great when my guest is talking and Preston just won't stop barking. I'm able to just cut out his barks and keep all of my guest audio. To access Zencaster and all its tools with a 30% off coupon, go to zen.ai forward slash coffee combos that's z-e-n dot a-i forward slash c-o-f-f-e-e c-o-n-v-o-s and type in the promo code coffee combos that's c-o-f-f-e-e c-o-n-v-o-s for 30 percent off for three months All right. Happy Friday. Um, This is Liz, host of Coffee and Combos, and it is a WATR 1320 AM takeover, and I am joined by Dimitri, Charnel, and Bilal, the leading voices (laughs) in the community. Right? So um, we need like a song, like the leading voices, something like like this 90s theme. Um, 
but yeah, we've been on WATR. We we had a game about you know we talked about things we have been doing in the community. We explored some issues around cannabis, women's issues, the November election, as well as um, the the active shooter protocols. And uh, we're taking calls, and we have one right now. Caller, how are you doing? Good afternoon to all of you. On the Supreme Court, as far as Roe v. Wade, which was unconstitutional in the first place, it returning back to the states the power where it should have been all the time, Blumenthal is attacking Mitch McConnell on a national abortion ban. If you think about that, that would also be unconstitutional because, again, you're taking the power away from the states. Like Mr. Knoxon keeps saying, that the states created the federal government, not the other way around. We want to comment on that? I have one other comment. Sure. Uh, also, I, you know, I was able to listen to the mayor's program yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it was brought up, but Connecticut has a two-year minimum mandatory for somebody carrying a firearm without a permit. And for some reason, that is never enforced either by the attorney general or by the prosecutors. Do anybody can comment on that too? So, commenting on the the abortion, or I mean, like I say, Blumenthal—it's disgusting when he takes out that commercial. Because if you think about it, how can they make a federal abortion ban? That's the same thing as uh, Roe v. Wade in the opposite direction. So how could the Supreme Court judges vote for one and and yet vote for not the other being unconstitutional? So, oh, can I take the abortion? I mean, you can also piggyback. No, 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 go ahead. Um, So my... Bilal's going to hate me. <laughs> no, please. My, so my comment is, how about we just do what we did with COVID-19 and let people make their own decision uh, based on their own health and their own confidentiality and their own feelings. But somehow when it's like, oh, we can take a marginalized group and make a decision, bet we're going to do that. How about you stay out of my uterus and let me make a decision? Um, because you clearly were able to understand that with health care and things of that nature. So um, that's what I say on that. Any other takers? Uh, uh, what I was getting from or what you were saying in the call is that essentially you're not, you know, for or against abortion, but you're more of a constitutionalist. And I'm just saying, I'm, I'm asking these questions. Like I say, uh, you know, Take, you know, think about it. If you make a national abortion ban, that's the opposite of what you're doing with Roe v. Wade. They're both unconstitutional because now you're taking the power away from the states to control what they're supposed to be controlling in the first place. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I think I think that you're just uh, like you are a constitutionalist, meaning that you know, no matter what side of the aisle are, the Constitution, like the Tenth Amendment, the pol- like the you know the police power of the states should supersede any political effort but any political um spectrum right and in theory you know i i agree um in theory that's how the country was set up but the question that i would raise is um to what extent um does that affect the amount uh that does, does that affect the people and does precedent not mean a thing you know um, you know, we've went through history, um, you know, do American history where precedent was held by the lower courts, by the Supreme Court, by any of the federal district courts. 
And now what we have seen in this decision, which was, Rory was about what, 50 years ago or something around there. Um, it's been a 50-year precedent, and because it was a politicized issue, and, you know, you know, more conservatives got on the court, that they completely overturned it. And who's to say that, you know, 20, 30 years down the line, when there's more liberals so on the court, um, will it get turned? Would it be, you know, brought back? You know, so ultimately, um, what I view as the issue here is, is that people are playing politics with issues that affect real people's lives. And essentially, that is a common theme that is held in, you know, local politics, um, uh, statewide politics and federal politics, so politics as a whole. So that's the real issue that we have to navigate, because no matter what, there are still going to be women who unfortunately are sexually assaulted, you know, um, raped. There are always going to be women with difficult pregnancies that will threaten their life. Um, and when the representation is mostly men who don't know anything about it or who don't care enough, that's where the issue arises. So, you know, just like how in this segment, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, willing and, you know, I wanted Liz to speak first because I appreciate you know, that. <laughs> yeah, mm. Because, you know, this is an issue that would affect her more than it would affect me. Um, at the root cause, at, I mean, at the basis of the issue in itself, um, that is the same approach that must be taken when it comes to addressing the issue overall. Chanel Blah. Yeah, I, like I mentioned earlier, like there, there's a few components to this issue, but I think one of the major ones is the equality issue we have to go back to. Um, part of the reason the government exists is to promote the general welfare, right, of the citizens that, that inhabit uh, the United States. And I, I am a, I'm a firm believer that, yes, yeah, states' rights is a thing, but also how do we protect people um, from those with power who seek to do harm with it? And it's I, don't, I think it's unequal that Connecticut can protect people, you know, while Texas can do whatever it wants to harm people or invade people's privacy without a check, right? Mm -hmm. If people are all of one or the majority of people are all of one political stance or party or ideology – like, how are we protecting women or people that can get pregnant in Texas? How are we protecting people in Mississippi, Florida? You know, like, I keep naming these southern states, but we get what it is. But, like, I I see it as an equality issue. It's un, it's not fair. It's not equitable to protect some people somewhere and then allow other people to do damage anywhere else they want without some sort of check. And so, like, I when I think about this issue, it's, it's ultimately like, we need to, like Liz said, like, let everyone make the decision that is best for them. These decisions aren't made better by having any kind of infrastructure or governmental overreach into their lives. Um, I think we've taken a, like a lot of people have taken their own spiritual ideals and stances, stances and tried to codify them. Um, and I, I, mean, I feel like Jesus is up there. Like y'all need I to mind your nothing, right? right? Like he's like, I told y'all to feed the hungry, and y'all are like hogging food stamps. Because I, because I, <laughs> because I think I think I, if you if you allow me, I think that when we have the conversations, there's parts of it where it's like people shouldn't be having sex, right? Like there's a there's their own people who have their own moral ideals who are like people. If you are not in the confounds of a marriage between a man and a woman, you should not be having sex. And I believe that in order to do that work, I need to pass this law. Right. And then there are people like, well, abortion is murder. And so there's the interpretive piece where it's like, well, God told people to kill entire nations in the Bible. So that's not murder. Right. Because there's context that matter. And so like we have all these conversations that, again, roll back to people in their own spiritual and religious truths for themselves that they then believe they need to um, kind of 
close everybody else into as opposed to letting people have that idea of self-determination where they can say, I know what's best for me. This is what's best for me. There are serious public health and economical um, consequences to having children. And we also know that once those babies are here. We're like what, just like you take care of them. Right. And so for me, like when I, when I see this issue keep coming up over and over again, like I don't want to use foster children as as like props because everyone talks mm-hmm. about the 400,000 foster children. I don't think everybody who is ran, you know, raging against abortion should be parents. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think everybody in general should be a parent. Like mm-hmm. it takes a very unique person to raise and love and nurture and be selfless enough to take care of another human being. But I also think that if we're going to be as holistic as we try to say we are, if we're going to try to be as holy as we try to say mm-hmm. we are, then I think we need to make sure that people are taken care of before things happen, that the sex education is actually thorough and that it's not based in abstinence, but in reality, that people are – teenagers – hate to say it like this. Teenagers are going to hump and hunch whether we love them <laughs> to or not. Like I, I don't understand why, why people don't think so. Teenagers will do the things you don't want them to do because they're, their world is getting bigger every day and they're making choices because they feel like they're adults and they're not yet. So what we need to do is make sure they're equipped with all the information they need to make honest, responsible choices. Mm-hmm. and But also – create an environment where if they feel like they've done something that yeah. is hurtful, harmful, and they're afraid that they can come to the adults in Absolutely. their lives and say, I don't know what to do. Please help. And that we're able to do that in a proper way. Absolutely. So that's just, again, that's the high school employee in me. Sorry. Awesome. Um, <laughs> we have a uh, below. Do you, we have a caller, but do you have something you want to add? Yeah. I, I think um, what I would, what I would add is that, so I, I like to think of myself as pro abortion, right? In the sense of I don't like the rhetoric around pro-life versus Mm pro-choice, right? Because, like, no one's out here being like, I'm Mm anti-life, right? And no one's like, the choice to do what exactly, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I am – I personally am for protections around a medical procedure, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. However and whenever someone chooses to access that health care is not up to me to determine, right? So the difference for me is that protecting abortion – allows people the choice on whether or not they want to get one, if they need to get one, if they should get one. That's between them and their healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. Banning it takes that choice away, right? And so if on a national level there there is a push to limit and reduce our options to healthcare, that should not be the road we take. Absolutely. Right? It it's about the it's about preserving and protecting your access to a healthcare and a, and a procedure, right? That's it. That's as far as I think my um, – that's as far as I want to know about it, right? When someone does it or why is up to them entirely, and that's a private matter. I don't ask about anyone's gallbladder, you know, but it's it's a matter of – it's a matter of privacy and, and health care. Absolutely. And if you want more of my thoughts on these, check out the Coffee and Combos episode, <laughs> Texas versus Women's Rights, that aired on November 2nd. And caller, how are you doing? Hi, this is Raphael. How are you guys? Hi. Hey, Raphael. Boo. <laughs> so let's, I, I have a question. Well, I'm going to start off with uh, with my comment, and then I have some questions for you guys. Um, I'm originally not from Waterbury, and I transitioned here uh, many years ago, like other many residents who live here in Waterbury. Um, last year and even sometime this year, I've been out with particular candidates knocking on doors and talking to folks in the community all across Waterbury. Um, and there's a few things that, that strike me, right? It seems to be a huge disconnect of what's being told is happening in Waterbury and what people are actually experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and that, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, the, the newspapers that we read and the, and the, the TV news that people are less and less watching. Um, there's a narrative and disconnect between the success that Waterbury is having, right? And when you ask our legislators what that is, they'll point to brownfield cleanups. They'll point to uh, bonding, right? But when I ask folks about what a direct investment into the community looks like, um, I can't really get a clear answer. So my question to you guys in the room is, you know, we're talking about elections and we're talking about um, all these great things, right? Um, we talked about all these funds that come into Waterbury, right? Um, and when we look at Waterbury, and, and this is something that, that's kind of new to me. Again, I've only been here 15 years. The distinguishing areas between what Waterbury is and the greater Waterbury area, sometimes those two things are synonymous when they're really not. Um, so when I think of Waterbury, I'm talking about the 110 or so residents that live in the city of Waterbury. So what does or what could a direct investment into the Waterbury community look like and what kind of impacts do you think it would have? Charnel, do you want to? I saw you like lean up. You're like, go ahead. So because I talk about betting on the people of Waterbury a lot. Um, and I think when we have conversations about investment in people, we separate them from like investments in businesses and whatnot. Because investments, sometimes that, you know, that return on investment doesn't happen immediately. And I think that's why in Waterbury, we don't see it happen um, as often. But when I think of investing in people, the first thing that comes to mind is like education, um, being able to invest properly and adequately in the education of our student age people, right, our zero to 18s, and also like people who are looking to get into higher education as an adult. Um, the other thing, though, that, that is always near and dear to my heart is the conversations around, like, restorative justice and keeping uh, kids, as I'm saying, in um, in community. Like, we had a lot of conversations about crime this year and what that looks like and how we should punish kids and how we should, you know, again, remove them. Um, but at the same time, I would love to see the money actually invested into programs. Like, when I, like I interned at Waterbury Youth Services as a juvenile justice uh, worker, as a youth development worker. And there's no money, mm. like, in these programs. Like, half the case managers are interns. Mm -hmm. Like, if not all, you know, people who aren't paid to do the work um, but are doing it because there's no funding that comes in um, to make it happen. So I would love to see community investment in the terms of restorative justice practices, mentoring programs, art programs, um, STEM programs. I know that we have a buddy who does Brass City Gamers investing in um, things that kids are enjoying. Um, I've, I think the last time I was in here, I talked about like how TikTok is frowned upon by grown people because we don't know how to dance to bad songs. <laughs> but the truth <laughs> is that these kids are making movies. Like in the same way we were coding in MySpace days, like these mm -hmm. kids are have filmmaking skills and marketing and communication skills that we don't have that could be like cultivated and used as they turn into adults. Like yes. having can we stop talking about manufacturing and talk about industry where these kids exactly. actually could be entrepreneurs and get them and their communities out of poverty? I'm sorry. Talk, no, you're absolutely right because <laughs> I th I think that's what it is. I think. I think we we want so badly in Waterbury to honor our manufacturing history, and 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 try not to lose that that um, that identity. But the truth is that the world has moved, and we have to continue to move with it. Things have changed. The things that are accessible to people 
who are of working age and are of creative age have changed. And we need to make sure we're investing in those spaces so that these these young folks and older folks can engage in the ways that they see fit and build their own like frameworks of success. So I would see community investment as that. All right. Caller, how are you doing? Good afternoon to all of you. A little, it's a little different here in things from a younger perspective, but it's interesting. One of the things that struck me, I didn't know which one of you had a parent go to vote, and she wanted to vote on a particular issue, and you couldn't find the issue on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Yep, yep, that was me, yep. I'll fix that for you. Go to a poll worker. They will assist you in every aspect in voting. That's what they're there for. Usually each poll worker has two to three people, and they are thoroughly versed. And if done right, there should be a copy of the ballot enlarged about probably two feet by three feet where you check in. And as you proceed down the line, I don't live in Waterbury, but where I vote, they have an enlarged copy of the ballot. And if you have any questions, those people are there for you. You don't need an act of Congress to figure that out. Awesome. What's your question? That, no, that's the answer. One, yeah, one that's... One of your panel, whoever said, you know, my mother just didn't know, well, she just had to ask a poll worker. It would have been corrected because she could have done her diligence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think part of the complication when we get to an, a voting center, right, is there is often talk about what's permissible in a voting place, in a polling place, what's not, what are the confusions, where do we go, right? I think polling sites and locations are great opportunities to educate the folks who are there about what those procedures and policies are, right? I know there's a lot of confusion around, um, you know, we talk about the secret vote or no one can see the ballot. So I don't think it's necessarily something someone thinks inherently to say, oh, let me ask someone to come look at my ballot and let them see how I'm voting or have them explain to me the outcomes of my vote because we have this idea that all of our voting needs to be very private. It's 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 something that no one else can look at. It's infringement on your rights if someone peeks. Um, so you're absolutely right. There are processes in place where folks can get assistance, but like a lot of services and systems of support in Waterbury, they're not clearly articulated to the folks who are there. And that's, I think, a responsibility of poll, like the poll workers or whoever, you know, our, our town clerk's office, which does a great job at running our local elections, but there's still room to grow and to make sure folks get educated. Absolutely. We have another caller on the line. Caller, how you Hi, doing? How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Hi. Oh, you hear me? Yes, we yes. do. Okay, this isn't a cross. I've, I've been here 85 years. Not only have I been here 85 years, but I've had a lot of faith in Waterbury, what it's been through. When people come in here and start talking about Waterbury, and they're trained to trade and they don't know the city, it gets me really upset because this is the city I was born and raised in. Mm-hmm. My mother and father came from Europe. They worked hard in the factories. A lot of the stuff went down the tubes here. Because of the politics. Now, we're not going to reinvent the wheel in the next 15 minutes. But I suggest that we take some senior citizens and bring them into the school kids with the kids and learn some of the stuff that we went through, like the panagots and the bread puddings and the things that we had to do to be raised in this city. We don't need transit trade people coming in from New York telling us how to support water bread, telling us to do our business. That's right. I've been here, I've been here 85 years. I'm very comfortable in this city. I have no problems. I had an excellent education. I worked for the power company. I was in the Air Force. I was in the 55 flood. I saved three lives since I was a kid. So don't come in this city and think we're all fools and idiots. 
A lot of us have been here for a long, long time. And we know the politics of it. We know who's who. And we know. But you, instead of going to the senior citizens, people are coming out trying to reinvent the wheel that they don't even know what they're talking about. You see, here's the deal. The politicians go to unprofessional people that are voting that don't know what they're talking about. So every time politicians come in that they're new, they're going to make promises that they can't keep, and they expect the constituents to be some kind of a magic wand and do it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? It's not going to work. This is not a transit city. It's a long-term city of hard workers that worked hard in this community to make this community what it is. So all you people that are coming out of town, you should not be getting the jobs of the people that should be getting the jobs of the city if they're qualified first. So you got a lot to think about. Now, I went down to a certain place the other day, and I'm not going to say nothing, but an out-of-town uh, electronic place that... So we we'll have to go to a break in a little bit. So I want you to wrap up your thought, but I'm loving what you have to say, okay? I, I'm going to level it right up. People, get yourself educated. There's a lot of smart people in this city like me that are tired of you people coming in and criticizing us. Get off your butt and go to work and get out of the houses. We worked up to sweat in this city. Start working. On, start proving to us what you can do. I love the idea of like bringing that that history and like you know like let's you know was it like bring bring your parent to school mm -hmm. or that you know you got to get Verna Ruffin on on this idea. No, I I definitely appreciate and I I love the idea of intergenerational community. Right, I do believe that our seniors um, are a wealth of knowledge and experience that could be used to kind of shape how we go forward. Um, but at the same time, I also recognize um, you know that like what's available to us and what, how the world moves around us and what, what, you know, avenues are there, um, change and shift, um, with generations. And so like, I, but I would love to, to have that conversation. I would love to further that conversation about Shouldn't what it looks like. About TikTok. Right. To, uh, just to collaborate and what that looks like in, in making community community again. Cause I feel like that is the crux of it is that you've built something and you would love to see it maintained. And I would love to see it expanded and evolve. Hmm. So let's do that together. Awesome. Any other phone calls? All right. I think we're almost at the – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to I want to respond too. I think um, – I sorry, I didn't catch that last caller's name, but I, I appreciate the thought. And I think, um, you know, when you talk about the history of Waterbury and we talk about our relation to manufacturing, what I don't hear us talking about is our relationship to labor unions, mm. right? Like we were a manufacturing city. And my understanding from a lot of the labor organizers in Waterbury is that part of what made those jobs – successful where one person can work and support their family and buy a home and send their kids to education was that there were strong unions behind them. So when we talk about bringing manufacturing back to Waterbury, but we don't talk about bringing labor unions and supporting unions and, and helping un, uh, workers unionize, what we're talking about is bringing jobs where people aren't getting supported. And so I agree. I think I would absolutely love to hear from more folks who've lived in, this, in, in Waterbury for decades to talk about what systems of support existed for them that allowed them to be successful and comfortable. And those are what we should need to bring back in addition to those jobs. Um, one without the other doesn't help anyone. Any other thoughts? All right. So we have a few minutes left. And I wanted to give space to just, again, reintroduce all that we are doing in the community and, and what, something that we'd like to see um, done in the community. So, um, 
I don't know, Bilal, like, I don't know. I kind of want to end with you. You're like our light and hope. So (laughs) I'm going to go to Dimitri first. Dimitri, you know, um, again, remind us of, of, you know, where people can find you, what you're doing in the community. Absolutely. Um, My name is Dimitri Coles, president and co-founder of Waterbury Strong. Um, You can find out more about uh, myself and Waterbury Strong at waterburystrong.com. If you go there as of right now, it will be down for maintenance. So uh, give us some time. It will be um, up there. Um, and, you know, we'll also be um, working on the Waterbury Black Business Network. Um, we are also um, helping out with the campaign school with this time Waterbury and WEPA. Um, and we'll also be um, planning some other community events as well. Um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, at Waterbury Strong. Fantastic. Yep. Charnel. Yeah, so, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, so, again, my name is Charnel Bush. I'm running for State Senate in the 15th District. Um, encompasses most of Waterbury, and I'll be out here in the summertime knocking on doors, walking around, being uh, outside, as Jada Kiss would say. Uh, <laughs> just trying to get connected and connect to more and more people because I do believe in people power, and I believe that the only way we move forward is together. Uh, so if you want to learn more about me, I have a website. It's Charnel 4 ct I'll spell it. It's C-H-A-R-N-E-I-L-F-O-R-C-T.com. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at Charnel, same spelling, with the number 4 ct uh, I'm willing to have all kinds of conversations, so please engage and reach out, and I'll do the same. All right, Bilal, so, uh, what are you doing? Again, five of the hundred things. Yeah, right. So the the thing I I want to definitely make sure we plug uh, is our our campaign school that you can find information on by going to www.itstimewaterbury.com, and that's Waterbury spelled all the way out. Um, the campaign school is a collaborative project with Waterbury Strong. Dimitri's been an amazing support on it. Liz Bullard, who's on this table with us right now, is also a part of the team. Um, and we're working with WEPA, which is Waterbury Empowers the People to Act. And the three organization, It's Time Waterbury, Waterbury Strong, and WEPA, have, have joined together to put together in an eight-module campaign school where each module focuses on a different aspect of supporting electoral politics in Waterbury. Um, That's about door knocking. That's about Waterbury history. That's on the political process. So if you're listening and you want to get more involved in Waterbury, especially if you're a Waterbury resident, this whole program was designed by Waterbury residents for Waterbury residents. You can find out more at itstimewaterbury.com or you can find me on socials at B-I-L-A-L-W-T-B-Y. That's on Twitter. Fantastic. All right. How much time we got left? And your stuff too, Liz. Oh, oh, we got to take a break? Okay, so I'm going to do real quick, take a break, and we'll come back. All right. The list of the Liz Bullard brand, okay? Dropped a second podcast called the E-Reads Podcast, and it's where I talk about books, creativity, and you'll get some writing prompts. We got the Coffee and Convos podcast where I talk about wellness, politics, and activism. We got LizBullardWrites.com where you'll see some of my nonfiction work and um, some stories and collaborations. And we have the community garden locally that's on 140 Brookdale Lane. And we're going to go to break before we close out. 
All right, y'all. This has been a wonderful time on WATR 1320. Thank you so much, Talk of the Town, for letting us come up here. My name is Liz, host of Coffee and Convos, the E-Reads podcast, LizBullardWrites.com, and the Community Garden. And we're ending with um, what's in your cup. And this is where I like to ask my guests and my listeners, what three things are you adding to your day and to your week to have just a spectacular rest of the day? And for me, I I got to add community after this conversation. Community um friends and definitely some food uh you know (laughs) the common theme here is food so those are the things i need to add to my day to really brighten it up uh dimitri what about you again remind us who you are all right uh dimitri uh, president co-founder of water very strong um and the three things that i would add to my cup um uh, time Mm. um coffee Mm -hmm. and um some time to relax because um, I definitely have a habit of biting off more than I can chew and committing to a lot more things than, you know, I'm readily able to. Well, someone has to do it. Yeah, somebody has to do it. And then, you know, I don't like letting uh, letting myself or other people down. So I'm going to, when there's a will, there's a way. And I'm going to find a way. So. Mm. All right, Charnel. Coffee is in my cup. I, Wait, you got to tell the people who are you. I'm sorry. I'm Charnel. I'm running for state senate in the 15th district and coffee is in my cup. I've been trying to fight it this entire show, <laughs> trying to fight. It's not working for me, but God is going to make a way. But um, in my cup, aside from coffee, is probably community as well. Um, but also, um, I would say time. Time. Just time to be myself and be with my family and enjoy myself over the summer. So, mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. Bilal, tell us who you are and what's in your cup. And then send us out with some positivity. Great. So Bilal Tajlin, one of the co-founders of It's Time Waterbury. I would say what's in my cup. Um, so those of you who follow me on socials know that there's a cat that like <laughs> hangs out in my backyard. She is not my cat. I don't own her. Her name is Gloria and I spend a lot of time with her. Um, and it's always a bright time in my day when she like kind of turns the corner and hangs out with me for a little bit. Um, so definitely... That, my, the cat who lives in my backyard. Um, obviously, you guys are in the cup. Um, and also, like, the weather is is consistently so much more sunny. And the days are longer. And I just feel better when it's not dark mm. so soon. And so I'm really appreciating all the extra sunlight. All right. Words of wisdom. Yeah. from You're our middle school, like. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm still thinking about what we said earlier where it's just, like, how, how, how much easier it is to feel hopeful when there's more people around you kind of like shouldering that vision. And there's so many folks now. I mean, the whole campaign school team, which again, those three organizations, Waterbury Strong, It's Time, Waterbury, and WEPA, and other folks who have like kind of come with us to to hold a vision for a better Waterbury, a, a more community-based Waterbury. I think that's what we need to hold on to between now and when our next show is. Stay tuned, because I am sh- i can't imagine we won't get a call back. <laughs> all right. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us. Bye. Thank all you. Right. Bye.